Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. Hey, what is up, everybody, and welcome to the College Info Geek Podcast. My name is Thomas Frank, and I'm here with my friend Martin Bamey, and on this episode, we are going to tell you how to prepare for finals properly. Though, that's actually not really a full description of what this episode's going to be, because we are going to kind of go through the whole process, right, dude? Yeah. So let's see, I think what I had in mind, what I wanted to do for this episode was basically do just like a info dump, um, just sort of like an overview uh, recap of a lot of the different videos I've done with some additional information. And basically what I had in my head was it's April, it's almost May, finals are soon. What do I do? How do I prepare? How do I get over test anxiety? And what do I do when I'm sitting in the testing room to make sure I score as high as possible? So that's what we're going to try to do in this episode. Um, I was interested, though. You were like ranting about tests. Yes. <laughs> yes I when was. we were kind of like just uh, brainstorming stuff for this episode. <clears throat> and I would be interested to to hear your thoughts on tests before we get into the actual tips and stuff here. Well, I don't necessarily have a problem with just tests as a, as a measurement tool to see how you're doing. And often I've had tests where the questions seem written in such a way that I can tell the professor's just trying to remind me of what I'm learning. Mm. Like, and it's filled with joke answers. It's, it's just there to remind you, oh yeah, here's a concept that's probably important. So they're good for recall and they're good for obviously testing what you know, but uh, one of the things I hate about tests is the tendency for cramming to become like the be all and all solution and yeah. obvious answer to it. I really hate the idea of cramming for a test because then you take this thing that was m- like meant to say, how much do you actively know? What did you learn? And you're turning it into what can you memorize for like a day and then forget it's just completely defeating the purpose, you know? Yeah. I mean, obviously we take classes we don't care about. So yes, feel free. I forget most of most of those classes. Philosophically, really, I'm against cramming. So you're not against tests. You're just against the I, way I'm against that the, many people tend to prepare yeah, for Yeah, I'm against test. what they've, they've done. They mm. indirectly, because we have to get tested on stuff we don't care about also, now cramming is the thing. Whereas... Like, uh, as an example, in my language classes, I never crammed, not once, because I felt that was defeating the purpose of something that was supposed to let me know how I was doing and something I wanted to take. Yeah. And I can see why you would cram in, like, uh, calculus or, like, things where you don't actually plan on keeping it in your brain for very long. I wonder, so I I've, I've always seen tests as this kind of necessary evil, because they're a way to really elicit recall, to really just create like this focused burst of effort your brain has to make uh, to recall the information you've learned over the semester. 
And you often don't need to do that in any other context unless you're doing the thing you're studying, unless you're yeah. taking knowledge and applying it to something in the real world. And often when you're trying to get a, a liberal or a comprehensive education, you just don't have uh, the time to do that. I guess there's all sorts of philosophy here that we could get into about like the nature of school and everything. But um, you did you did make me think of something. I wonder if the best form of test would be like pop quizzes where it's just like, oh, guess what? Today we're going to test how much you've learned. Oh, yeah. Instead of it being you have to know all the time, basically. Yeah. And I mean, there's this trade off where education is very regimented it's very curriculum based and professors need to be able to say okay my class has learned x y and z they're ready to move on so it's kind of like this marker of progress and whether or not you're on schedule quote unquote but in terms of just uh you know how how naturally ready are you how naturally have you learned this i think a pop quiz is actually kind of a better measure of that uh, just like you having your skills be put on the spot by something that comes up in your job yeah, You know, like you're not like when you were a web developer, you weren't going into work and like studying for, oh, in, you know, three yeah, weeks, I'm going to have I better know how to issue. do a PHP for each loops. <laughs> yeah, this this MySQL it's issue is going to come up knowledge. in three weeks. So I better cram for that. It's like, no, nah, it comes up. And if you don't know, you look it yeah, up. That's a, I forgot about pop quizzes. That's a good point. Those do kind of accomplish like what I would desire in a perfect world. But we live in a world where teachers have things to accomplish. They have like goals for where their students are at the students have to get their grades to do these other things yeah you know obviously there's a lot there's a lot of stuff it's too generalized and managed for it to be a perfect situation yeah it's true where nobody would want to just cram and forget like like i said i don't remember most of what like the classes i had to take because it wasn't that important but in the classes that were important i'd never crammed for that reason yeah it's true so to be honest, okay, speaking of cramming, this will be going on the 18th of April, 2016, and when is finals week usually? You know what? I shouldn't make this mistake because every time I put out anything related to finals or anything time-based, uh, I get students from like different countries being like, yeah, I'm already doing finals right now, and then other ones oh, be yeah. like, yeah, my finals aren't until July. That's true. Or so you my mean finals where, until where my- is final week? In our university, and when is that? Yeah, I think that I was feel like, like it's two weeks or three weeks yeah, from now, maybe couple, something like that. So that's when it usually I was. feel like some of the stuff we're going to go over in this episode is maybe that ship has sailed already, um, or or it's if you know if somebody's behind, they're going to have to scramble to kind of get up to speed. But this will serve as a reference for future semesters, and uh, if you're listening to it now, hopefully you can get some value out of the uh, initial like the the first half where we're going to talk about study schedules and catching up on work. And then the latter half will be much more applicable to anybody at any time because it will be about how to study and also how to cut down on your test anxiety and what to do during the test. But I wanted to start with catching up on work because I know that personally, one of the big impediments to my own review efforts for finals, other than the fact that I just didn't want to do them, uh, was that I I already had like homework that was due or I was finishing up projects and I know that at a university professors are encouraged to not have big projects due during dead week, but that doesn't stop them from doing yeah, it. That does not. <laughs> it doesn't even slightly stop them. So let's talk if about anything uh, it encourages them. It kind of does. Yeah. Cause they're like, Oh, dare me to do it. It's like the prisoner's dilemma kind of. 
because because uh, like a professor might think, oh, well, all the other professors aren't going to be assigning anything this week. You guys can handle one little thing from me, can't you? Said every professor ever. <laughs> then you've got like six things due. Yeah. You had like four group projects due. I don't think it was only four. I think week. it was more than four. It I remember was, like every night intense. you were like, yeah, I have to go to a group meeting. Yeah, I and had drive off a bridge. After maybe that. it was four things due during Dead Week, but I'm fairly certain I had six group projects that semester. It's freaking insane. It was insane. It wasn't that fun. I was like physically hurting for you. Yeah, and I think this was I was graduated at the time, but yeah, it was it was pretty nuts. Uh, so I wanted I wanted to tell you a story about my algebra two teacher because I think this like illustrates the importance of keeping up on your work <laughs> throughout the semester. So my algebra 2 teacher had the amazing idea to let students turn in their work at the end of the semester if they wanted to. So like there was a due date for each assignment, but if you as long as you turned in your homework before the last day of class, you could get I think you could get full credit on it. That's going to go well. Like, it, I, don't, I don't know why she had due dates, because it was like, if as long as you turn it in, you could get all the credit you wanted. So, of course, there were students who literally did nothing until last week, and then they were coming in on the final day of class being like, yeah, I did 17 assignments last night. <laughs> yeah, I actually did this in my community Wait, college. Wait, for real? Yeah. Your community college, you do it too? Well, I had the same teacher for about four classes, maybe more. Oh so the gosh. policy was similar. In uh, one or two weeks, I did something something like 43 assignments. Oh, my God. And I aced them, but it was horrible. And this was college? Was this like all your networking yeah. Uh, stuff? Yeah, I did like an insane amount of Cisco stuff. and Look just how smart you are. Nonstop. It was, <laughs> it was a horrible, 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 horrible idea. Never do that. I bet. Okay. So hopefully people don't do that. Hopefully they're... Yeah. Smart enough to get things if, done. If teachers gradually, give you, if the professors give you that freedom, it's like, it's like they're trying to trick you. They're trying to give you some monkey's paw wish thing right now. They're saying, yeah, you could totally turn it in whenever you want. You're screwed if you take advantage of that. Just having that rule is like dooming a certain proportion of students to that like one awful night. Yeah, it's like maybe a, they do it for that reason. It's maybe like a self-discipline like, test. They're trying to teach you the lesson of self-discipline. It, you know, kind of worked, I guess. Maybe like the teacher that does that is actually like the they're they're falling on the barbed wire because they're like, I'm going to let my students do this so they can learn why it's a terrible idea. Now, I don't know if that's actually effective, but maybe they're thinking that. I don't well, know. I learned the lesson, kind of. <laughs> it's just that I would ignore that I had learned it. I didn't know, know the lesson Yeah. next semester, and I would do it again. And I learned it after a couple of years. All I know is that there there needs to be deadlines that actually mean something. Um, Like, I have never had a strict, my videos must be out by Thursday deadline. It's just been like a once a week thing. And that led me to basically put off most of the work on my video uh, for this week until literally Saturday morning yeah. when I did all the editing and got it out at Saturday at like 5 o'clock p.m. Yeah, and of course you can't just summon that and like do it on Monday. Yeah, it, it doesn't work. So the deadlines are really important and hopefully your teacher doesn't tempt you and uh, and empower the monkey in your brain by 
letting you do it all by the end of the semester. Let's say, though, that you have found yourself in a situation where finals are coming up soon, but all your study time is taken up by trying to catch up. I wanted to talk about, uh, have you heard of a, a saying called good, fast, and cheap, Martin? Um, pick two. A uh, good, fast, yes. cheap, pick two. Yes. That's what it is. Yeah. Yes, the pick two. I've seen various triangles right. of similar so nature. I think this is referred to as like the iron triangle of project management. Where it's like, uh, you can have something done good and fast, but it will be expensive. Or we can do it very cheaply and quickly, but it won't be good. Or we can do it um, uh, good and cheap, but it will take a long time. So you kind of have to pick one of these elements that you can't have. And this actually applies to pretty much anything in life. It's all just about resource management. Life is basically just one big game of Age of Empires 2. And... uh, you got to have enough food and you got to have enough wood and like steel and stuff, man. Yeah. And there aren't any cheats. There, yeah. No pepperoni pizza. Dude, the best cheat is the one that gets you the the cars that shoot lasers. I <laughs> do not believe I played the specific one with that cheat. So I missed out. It was Age of Empires 2, right? I think. Well, I see. I don't remember which Age of Empires I played. Oh, okay. I have yeah. no idea. Yeah. I think if you type in all your base or belong to us, I think that's what it is. Then you get like these, uh, it's like a Shelby Mustang, it's like a red car that shoots lasers and it's a you win button basically, but you don't get that. So when you're going through the semester and you're doing your homework on time, you don't have to worry about this iron triangle because you have time to do things well. And uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to establish cheaply or expensively as like a measure of the human effort that has to go into this. When you have gotten to the point where you have to catch up uh, good, fast, cheap pick two really does apply. You can do your work crappily uh, with a low expenditure of effort and fast, but you probably want to get it done well, which is going to take a lot of effort. And unfortunately, you just don't have enough effort to expend in the amount of time you have left. So you really need to triage your work, which basically means you need to take a critical look at, ever, at everything you have left to do And you need to ask yourself, like, which of these can I sacrifice? And I would say one of the best ways to figure this out is, uh, number one, just take the fall and ask your professor and just be like, dude, I'm I'm behind. I screwed up and I really would like to know, like, what's the most important work that I should be finishing, both in terms of grades and in terms of uh, what will prepare me for your test that's coming up soon. I mean, you think that's the best way? Well, I'd say it's definitely a good idea to talk to them if you if you really don't know because, I mean, they're there for a reason. They have office hours. They schedule that stuff. Mm-hmm. They probably want to help students. I'm, I'm going to hope that they do since they uh, have that job. But there's definitely the need to figure out what is most important. And that that to me was very much, okay, these classes I'm doing really well in. This one is absolutely important because I'm like on the edge of grades and it's going to affect my GPA. So maybe, maybe I can uh, cut out some French homework because I know that I'm going to be fine in that class and it's not going to really alter my grade in favor of focusing on something that might affect my GPA somewhere else. Certain classes. Oh yeah. Actually didn't think about that. 
like yeah, I totally cut out language homework sometimes because I was like, I'm at a solid A. What's the what's another percentage point if I'm still in an A? It doesn't matter. My GPA doesn't care. But my GPA does care if I might get a C in this philosophy class because I forgot to do something. So I better fix it up and get that turned in at a high quality to attempt to salvage that to get the highest grade I can. That's yeah, I actually you make a really good point there. Like 94 and 95, there's no difference in those percentage points. Nobody cares as soon as you're out of that class. Yep. Uh, Unless you have pluses in your system, maybe, you know, I'm going to assume you don't. Like there's no A pluses, but yeah, like I don't think most systems would have anything that would matter. Past if that there point. was, I would have an A plus 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 plus. <laughs> I'm I'm sure. But yeah, it's actually, it is kind of like, like maybe you're playing a video game and you're gearing up for a boss that's really, really tough. Like you would take some time to make sure you're stocked up with ammo and you have like heart containers and everything. Whereas if it was like a really easy boss you knew you could beat, maybe you just kind of run through really quickly, not care. Yeah. Um, So it's the same thing. Like if you've got a class that maybe you're on the precipice of slipping from an A to a B or... Uh, you know, the final is going to be like really comprehensive. It's It counts for a lot and you're not exactly sure that you're going to be able to do super well on it. Then maybe you do need to focus all of your efforts on catching up and getting uh, as as basically as uh, much of a buffer on your grade as possible going into that final. So that'll all help you decide. And also you just need to ask yourself, like, is this homework really relevant to the content of my final? Is it going to help me prepare? Because if it is, then I'm basically killing one, uh, two birds with one stone in terms of preparing yes, for, for the those test. who want to murder birds. For the, yeah, it's a great way. Yep, two points. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to like a little assignment from maybe week two where it was write a paragraph about this magazine entry or something. You, unless that's worth a lot of points for some reason. That's yeah. not going to help you study in the slightest. It probably has nothing to do with the content of the test. Yeah, exactly. So from there, I wanted to move on to planning your study. Um, a lot of people ask me, like, dude, how do you create a study timetable or a study schedule? Now, I have to make an admission here. I almost never planned out what I was going to study. I think I did it like one semester before finals, but usually I wouldn't do it. Uh, and I'm guessing you might be in the same camp. Um, <laughs> I, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I didn't really, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't really study four tests a whole lot. Mm. I, the classes that interested me, I studied throughout by when I have my homework, I would go through it. Like I'd have a calculus assignment And sure, I'd get all the answers, but one of the answers, I was still, it was a little fuzzy how I got to it. So I would keep doing it until it just made sense to me and I'd go back to it the next day maybe. I would Mm -hmm. study throughout the class time or throughout the, not not class time as in the, the hour you're in class, but the semester. I would study throughout the entire course so that I would cumulatively understand what was going on. So... I used the homework to get me prepared and then I kind of just So by took study, the exam. do you mean you just did the homework and went through the class as normal or did you actually take extra time? I did take extra time. I spent oh. like 6 hours on a calculus assignment once because I wasn't getting it. Okay. Because I wasn't willing to just turn it in and have it be done, the assignment would have closed the next day, so I kept running through and like reverse engineering what was going on in the problems until it made sense to me. And once it makes sense, I know I can recreate it later. 
Okay. But I so don't. You were focused on mastery the whole time, basically. For the classes that mildly interested me. Yeah. Um, some classes I messed up in. I certainly wasn't just perfect student focused on mastery. I totally bombed a philosophy class because I ignored some assignments I shouldn't have. Mm. But in most classes, the idea was that I was going to learn the content up until it almost all became group projects. And then it was more about doing that than actually learning new things. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And I guess that's, that's one thing we should probably talk about is like, how do you know how much you should study? Cause there's sort of this idea or feeling that, Oh, it's dead week. It's finals week. I feel like I should be studying nonstop. Um, certainly it doesn't translate to what I actually do, but there's like this, uh, feeling of guilt or oh, maybe yeah. like constantly, like I'm not all the way prepared. I don't know if I should be studying more. Like there's just this constant overtone of I should be studying right now. Um, and I mean, on one end, the ideal here, like you said, is you really want to understand all the concepts and all the problems to the point where you don't get them wrong. Um, like mastery isn't just getting it right. It's getting to the point where you can't get it wrong. Uh, even if you're in a more anxiety driven situation or even if uh, you have less time to complete the problem, like it's it's second nature to you. On the other hand, though, like with a test, you can kind of figure out what numbers you need to hit, what degree of preparedness you need to be at in order to get the grade you want. So I think before creating a study schedule and just blocking out your entire calendar with study in all caps, maybe you should take some time to take stock of all your classes, take stock of where you are. Uh, hopefully you can kind of get a list of all the topics or chapters or, you know, just the percentage of the curriculum is going to be covered in the test and then start to get an idea in your head of, all right, I need to know this material. I feel like I'm at this point in uh, preparedness. I'm at this point in mastering it basically. And I need to get myself up to a certain point, not a hundred percent, but a certain point. Yeah. And then a lot of, a lot of that has to do with, you've got what classes are you doing well in? What classes uh, how high is the percentage of your grade that the final makes? Mm -hmm. You've got, is that exam cumulative or based on the last few chapters? Because if I didn't understand the last few chapters because I don't have time to study them or something, but the test is cumulative over the whole semester and I was just fantastic at the rest of it, I can afford a little bit to just not study those last few chapters I didn't get very hard because yeah. they're a smaller portion of the exam. And then I can allocate that elsewhere to a class where maybe it isn't cumulative, so you have to know that, or a class that is cumulative where I didn't understand a lot of the previous stuff. It's There are a lot of variables to figuring out what's most important here. Right. So once you figure that out to whatever degree works for you or you're able to, uh, I think that it's good to take like a project management approach to this because we talked about like just a few minutes ago how most of us will put assignments off to the end of semester if we have the option to. And I will put my video editing up to a Saturday morning if I have the option to. Um, you're liable to push your studying off to far, far too close to the test than is, uh, than is good. So a project management approach involves setting milestones. So if you know that this test is cumulative, for example, 
and I need to be basically knowledgeable on each of these chapters. Maybe two weeks out from the test, I'm going to review chapters one to five, and that involves actually creating a quiz and making sure I know them. And then uh, the Friday before the test, I'm going to make sure that like chapters six to 10, I'm good on. And then maybe three days before the test, that's my milestone for kind of bringing it all together and doing a comprehensive review of everything, just kind of like a, a big picture review. And that way, you know that I need to be to this point on this day, which is well before the actual due date, and that keeps you on track. Now, this is a tactic that you should be taking for the entire semester, and it's honestly how your curriculum is structured, but it's equally as important to do it when you're reviewing for tests as well. Well, I like the part that you, like how it's planned out ahead of time. You're, you're not just saying, okay, three days before the test, that's when I make my life hell. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to study forever. And I think an important part about this is that just the way humans learn, we've got like the three generally accepted in the things I've read. I'm sure they're it, the field of memory is probably not as clear as I want it to be. Yeah. But the three stages that I've seen talked about several times are we've got the acquisition of new content. You tell me uh, roses are red and then consolidation which is largely when you sleep and you form long-term memories Mm -hmm. and then recall, which is testing and studying. But since consolidation and turning stuff into long-term memories happens largely during your sleep, that means the more days out and the more days that I study this little topic and the more days before an exam, I do this, the more chances my body has to consolidate those memories correctly so that I can recall them better later. Yeah, exactly. You need more time for your memories to be able to structure that. You can't expect yourself to learn a whole semester's worth of stuff in two days. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that that brings up a really good point. It's so easy to discount the value of sleep and of your health in general when you're studying for finals. And this isn't just limited to school. Like this happens in the real world as well. When there's a big project, when you feel like you're really on a crunch, health is the first thing to be cut. You know, and we make all these excuses like I'm young. I have forever to get healthy again. I have forever to build a bunch of healthy habits. But like you just said, sleep is integral in uh, the process of consolidating memories. So if you don't sleep, you're actually like hurting your ability to study for your tests right now. You're creating more work for yourself and at the same time damaging the machine that has to do the work. Yeah, and it's probably not going to help with any later anxiety or stress. Yeah, exactly. When you, yeah, get, it's gonna... when you get near test day, if you've had four hours of sleep for the last two weeks because mm-hmm. you thought that studying for a few extra hours was more important than sleeping. Yeah. I actually want to kind of like it's not gonna pay lay off. down a few a few ironclad rules here. And obviously no one's like obligated to do what I say. But I think like when you're studying, you should make it a priority to get the amount of sleep you need. Uh, the video I just put out is about Uh, how to get to bed on time and also talks about how to figure out how much sleep you need but also make it a point to get outside or to go do something physical for at least half an hour you're just you're going to make your brain so much more efficient you're going to make your body so much more able to pay attention um we're in a little bit i want to talk about directed attention fatigue because it's one of the reasons we find that we're not able to study or pay attention as long as we want to but that goes right back to exercise and your sleep and your and your uh, food intake and everything. Like, the more you do to take care of the body, 
the more it helps the machine that is your brain do what you want it to do, which is learn all this stuff as fast as possible. Uh, I wanted to ask you before we moved on, what are your thoughts on either splitting your homework days and your study days uh, up or mixing them? Like, do you prefer to study on the same days you finish up homework or do you prefer to like try to shove all your homework on one day and then study on another day? Maybe it was a little optimistic of me because I know that this didn't always work out, but I did prefer to just, I didn't like having homework hanging over my head Mm -hmm. while I was studying. So I always preferred just, okay, anything that needs to be done is going to be done on this day. I'm going to cram all this homework in there just so that I can get it out of the way. I studied if I had to study for a class, it was a lot better if there wasn't homework in the way because I'm mm. likely to think, oh, I did a really good job studying and then completely forget that there was, by the way, something was due online at midnight today, but you yeah. forgot because you already felt like you worked really hard on that class today. And right, yeah, I didn't want to mess around with that. I preferred to get homework done first so that I could also that helped ease the anxiety because Part of yeah. why I did so well on tests was because I was calm. And I'm not going to be calm if I'm spending the next, the several days before my tests still freaking out about assignments. Yeah, exactly. Hang on. There's the parenthesis at the end of this episode in Asana is missing the, the end parentheses. <laughs> I need wow. to put it back. Are you fixing that right now? <laughs> is that what you're doing? I'm sorry. I can't help it. <laughs> I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it away right now. Okay. But no, I actually wanted to talk about that because I feel the same. Um, instinctively I would like to have all the homework out of the way before I study and I just want to bring that up as something that should be deliberately thought about because it would be very easy to just uh, make that snap decision I'm getting all the homework done before I study but remember we're taking a project management style approach to studying and if that means that uh, I need to learn chapters one through five or review chapters one through five a week before the test starts then uh, I can't just shove all that off a few days from now to get my homework done. So you might end up in a situation where you really do need to mix your review and your homework time into the same days. And that's all going to happen based on whatever your plan dictates. Uh, but yeah, in a perfect world, I would like to have all the homework done before yeah, the like, studying. Like I said, I was a little optimistic at the time. Mm. I, it didn't always work out. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, like, your studying should almost feel like homework. And that's probably a, a good segue into the how to study uh, section of this podcast. Because I remember friends in the dorms who would like quote unquote study for tests. And I just watched them pull up the PowerPoint slides on uh, what do they call that? Web, web CT? Is that what it was called? Um, I don't think I was there Blackboard? when it was Web CT. I was there... I saw Blackboard. Okay, I basically Blackboard. Blackboard. I mean, they just like pull up the PowerPoint slides on Blackboard and scroll through them while sitting back in their chairs and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm studying right now. That sounds intense. I don't think that's how you should study, though. <clears throat> so I know you don't like to cram, but um, how did you study when you needed to study? Well, when I needed to study, let's see, that, that largely depends on the class because if I did study, it probably... I studied Chinese characters. I studied the writing because that's not something that was very easy for me to cumulatively just okay. memorize. But when I did study, it was a lot more interactive than just flipping through a PowerPoint mm -hmm. because that's not going to give me the knowledge 
that I need. I'm just reading through largely really simplified versions of stuff. I would go through old homework, uh, previous exams, if I had them, because oh, let's yeah. say in a, on a cumulative exam, I know that a lot of the times the teacher's just reusing some of the questions from my previous midterm or something. Yeah. And that's a lot more interactive of something to look at. I get to see, oh, I made this mistake. Why? I didn't understand this concept. Let me fix how I didn't understand this concept. Actually, that's a really good point. You want you want to target your weaknesses, not just yeah. why focus on something you already get. Yeah, if you have the ability to go back and see the mistakes that you personally made previously, that's really powerful. So it would be really cool if you could get uh, copies of the tests you've already taken and see, I was wrong here, I was wrong here. I know you don't always have access to that, but it might actually be worth asking your professor if you could get uh, or just look at your last test well, or honestly, midterm or whatever it was. The ones that didn't give me that test, they would often offer students could come to their office and look at their exam. They just couldn't leave with it so that you couldn't, uh, okay. so that you couldn't give that exam to like a student who takes it next semester or something. Yeah. But you could look at it in their office and you could write down, I am bad at this part. That's a fantastic idea. And I don't think that a lot of professors would just be like, actually, I I don't want to help you <laughs> do better and make my class look like they have better grades. Uh, yeah. It seems like even if the compromise is just you look at it when they're there so that they know you're not selling it to a student, mm-hmm. that's, I think, more likely to work than anything. It's still really useful. Yeah, and sort of related to that, I know that a few of my professors had review sessions that you could go to where it was like a group thing, but it was not during class time. It was like maybe like it was 7 p.m. on a Tuesday or something. You could go to the classroom and just do a review session where you could ask the professor questions on what you were stuck on. And I think those are some of the most valuable things you can, like the most valuable forms of studying you can do for uh, for exams because you are putting your brain into a mode of thinking, uh, into an environment that is only about the test. Like you're voluntarily going to a session about the test. So the context is perfect. And not only can you get help on your own questions, but being in a room with a bunch of other people and like all that's happening is other people are asking questions. Those can serve to jog your own memory uh, and identify areas where you're actually not sure about something. Because I think, like, have you ever heard of second-order incompetence? I think I've heard it, but I don't remember what it is. So second-order incompetence is uh, not knowing about what you don't know. It's uh, why people who have never done anything, like, who have never had any exposure to a certain skill think it's easy. Like, oh, cave diving would be so easy. All you do is put yeah, on scuba gear and you go through a cave. It is, and yeah. you, you, just, you just don't bump into walls, right? And uh, then when you, you know, you get a little bit of expertise and you're like, oh, actually, if you even brush up against the ground a little bit, it'll kick up silt and then you'll be blind. Like all these things you don't know that you don't know, that applies to any class you're in. There's inevitably going to be stuff that you didn't uh, hear in the lecture or maybe you just skipped over when you were reading because you were bored or something. And then all of a sudden another student asks a question about that and you're like, oh, yeah, I don't actually know about that. And the teacher straight up answers it for you at the at the front of the class. So definitely go to those review sh- uh, sessions in addition to just trying to get access to uh, previous tests you've taken. Um, a couple other like really golden things you can do. If the, if the teacher provides a study guide, like that's your map right there. 
just basically fill that out and i've had i've had classes where the study guide was the test and the like test exactly yeah it was just word uh, for word here's your test well it, no it wasn't it wasn't like a copy of the test I, I had classes um there were just a couple that were like this but the study guide was a giant bullet list of questions or topics so it'd be like you know um this psychological concept or something like that and i remember i was sitting in the library with our friend colin and we just went through this thing line by line wrote all the answers down and then we showed up the text the next day of the test the next day and realized the test was all the topics from the study guide the questions might have been reworded a little bit but there wasn't a single question on that test that wasn't on the study guide and because we just sat there the night before doing the whole thing, I was just like, I'm basically doing the study guide over again. And this is so easy. So that's your map right there. Um, another potentially even better resource, though, would be old tests. Now, I'm not talking about the tests that you've taken, like your midterms or like your first test, second test. I'm talking about if you can get your hands on previous semester's tests. Um, there's a website called koofers.com where you can look through their test bank. Uh, and I know that like fraternities, sororities, and other student organizations like, like business fraternities, the ones you don't have to live in, they often will maintain test banks if they can get their hands on tests. And that's ridiculously useful because a lot of times professors will reuse the same questions. And even if they don't, that test is inevitably going to be going over many of the same con uh, concepts. There's a podcast I listen to called Cortex, which is uh, ran by CGP Gray and Mike Hurley. And uh, Gray, before he was a YouTuber, he was actually a physics teacher. So he knows a thing or two about this. And I remember he was saying, like, especially in fields like physics, where there's a definite answer, there's a number you must arrive at. Getting your hands on old tests and answer keys is the best way to study, because then you can do the practice test repeatedly until you get a perfect score on it. And I remember he was saying like this process of attaining mastery on that set of questions, it isn't exactly about getting good at the hard parts. Like that is definitely a component of it. But what he really emphasized with that, uh, the, the benefit of that is that you're drilling the easy parts into your mind again and again and again until a point that they become second nature. And when that happens, um, when you're facing a difficult question in the test, your test anxiety can't flare up from all these easier parts just kind of jumbling up everything and adding to the pressure. Like those parts have become as easy as breathing now, so your mind is free to be clear and focus on just the one hard component of a question. So if you can drill an old test, like, boom. Has this been, has the, that website been around this whole time? Because Coopers? I had, yeah. Um, I only heard about it after school? I graduated, so I'm not sure. I missed out. That would but, have been awesome. Yeah. And I mean, it's not guaranteed to have everything, but like, it's just one of those places that's decent to check <clears throat> just in case they happen to have an old test. Um, but I, I would assume that this is a similar situation to how scholarships work, where it's a good idea to do the Capex scholarship and to do the Zinch things and to get on. Um, what's that other one called? Why can't I think about it? Oh, FastWeb. That's what it is. And to basically sign up for those national scholarships. But the local ones are almost always a better bet. I Every scholarship I ever won was a local one. And I would imagine that if you were able to find test banks at a local fraternity or a local student organization, 
you have a better chance of finding something. And you know what? It ain't a bad idea to ask your professor if they have a practice test or an old test that you can study off of. I've had professors hand out old tests from like five years ago. And, you know, when that happens, they usually say like the new test isn't exactly like this, but you can study off this. Um, whatever gets you closer to the actual test you're going to face is going to help you out the most because it's all about exposing, exposing yourself repeatedly to as, uh, as ideal of conditions as, or as kind of the same conditions you're going to face when you're in the test to try to create some sort of, you could, you could study in like the same room. You mean like create like a context aware memory kind of situation? Exactly. Um, in fact, I wanted to, you know how you were asking me the other day about like why I have trouble doing my videos when I'm actually sitting in front of the camera. Yeah. So this has puzzled me. I think being in front of the camera and kind of knowing that, oh, this is the take that I'm hopefully going to put on YouTube. Um, I've set up all the lights. I've set up all the stupid little going Mary ship in the background and everything. (laughs) You've spent hours positioning it in the perfect way. <laughs> I got to make sure Professor Layton's on the ship just to have like a little Easter egg reference only to realize the camera blurs it out too much. <laughs> but anyway, it's like uh, it's like performance anxiety, right? Because it's like, all right, this is the take. And yeah, this I is can it. be. Yeah. And I can be in my car uh, just airing out my thoughts on my my phone recorder and it'll be perfect. I can speak whatever I want to speak. I won't screw it up. It'll be fine. And then I'll get in front of the camera, try to say the exact same thing, and all of a sudden I'm choking and I have to say the lines 10 times. And I've realized that if I do the filming to the point where I think it's done, and then I come back the next day and I film it again, it's so much easier. Oh, really? Yeah, it's so much easier. In fact, like for this uh, for this sleep video, I filmed it once. I brought it onto the computer. And um, I actually remember the first time I filmed it, I kind of tricked my brain a little bit because I said, oh, this is just the sound check. And then I just started talking about the content of the video. But I brought it into Premiere and I started editing it and I was like, "Okay, I can't actually use this for the video. There's some transitions where I just didn't say what I needed to say or I screwed it up too much. It'll be too much of a jarring cut. So I have to sit back down and film it again. And I ended up filming that video four different times. Um, the, the second, uh, the second and third and fourth time, the reason I didn't take the second one is because it was getting to the point where I was like, okay, I've screwed up lines too many times on the second take. It's going to take a long time to edit. I really wish I could just get a take where I said the whole thing outright and I didn't achieve that. But on the fourth take, I did say like a good third of the video in one take, I think, or at least the, the main content. Cause I had some updates in the, that I put on the end. And that was all because I had already exposed myself to that challenge of saying those things in the same context. The camera was rolling, the lights were on, my brain was like, this is it. But you've already been in the situation where this is it, you know? And I have, I keep thinking that because I do videos every week, my brain should just get used to that fact. Like, but it seems like it's kind of every individual video is its own challenge that has to be overcome. And the skill of uh, accomplishing one video, it, it only applies a little bit to the next one. And I think it might be the same for tests. You've taken dozens and dozens of tests throughout your entire life, but the next one you still might be anxious about 
because you haven't subjected yourself to that specific material and that specific context. So if you can go study in the testing room, like you said, um, you're going to have an easier time when you get into the real test because your brain goes, oh, I've already been here in this desk for this material. Nice. Just like I've been sitting on that chair for that video. Yeah, that's yeah, that would work really well. Just yeah, this is just like that time I studied uh, last week. I remember when I was studying, I, I had consolidated this thing. Your memories of studying in that room are going to be like this part was hard, but then I figured it out. That's like an extra boost of everything's just going to make sense. Yeah, exactly. That's a good idea. So studying the testing room is a great suggestion. Um, I want to talk about how you should actually do the act of studying for a little bit here. Because um, like we said, a lot of people just scroll through the PowerPoint slides and you were saying you're a bit more active with it. Now, if you can't get your hands on old tests or your old tests or whatever or study guide, then the best thing you want to, you can do is to create your own quizzes out of your notes and out of the textbook and stuff like that. So this is called the quiz and recall method. Basically, you want to take your notes and you want to start consolidating them down into questions. And if you've got big overall headings in your notes or in the textbook, textbook headings are very good or review questions at the end of chapters, you know, will be covered. You can just start to basically create your own study guide. And then this is key. You want to come back maybe a day later and take that quiz. So you want to give yourself a, a day or two to get away from the material so that when you're uh, coming back, not everything is shoved into working memory and you're truly testing your brain's ability to recall that stuff. Now, Martin, one thing I wanted to ask you, I know because you study so much language, I'm guessing you have a lot of familiarity with flashcards, right? Yes. I almost never use flashcards, um, but I've been told that like the quiz and recall method and just making a quiz is really good for concept heavy classes. But when you're in a very fact heavy class, where you have to memorize lots of little bits of information that basically flashcards are king uh, once you've actually learned the material. So what are the best ways that you can structure flashcard studying? Like, is there a best way to build a flashcard? Well, I personally have all of my flashcard-esque things in Anki. Okay. The spaced repetition software, uh, very popularly used for language learning because it can help you memorize vocabulary. But it can be used for any other thing, too, like a mathematic formula mm. or the birthday of some historic figure. And I guess the only thing that I do consistently is I make sure that there is... Maybe, maybe this wouldn't apply to certain types of things, but I make sure that there's this option to create two cards, one that's both... One that's recall and one that's production. So... For a language example, you've got uh, the word rojo for red, but then you would you would study one that says rojo and says, well, what is that? But then on you would flip it, and there it would also test you red. Do that in the other language. So in this case, okay, so maybe, you're testing both. Yeah, ends. In, in both directions. Because okay. let's say let's say you do that with a mathematic formula, you can say here's the quadratic formula, and you can produce it. But if you see that formula, will you recognize it as the quadratic formula? Oh, yeah. Okay. That makes like, sense. It's important that you have the knowledge in both directions because it would be pretty much uh, a shame if you were to lose points on something just because they happened to flip the direction in which they gave you some information. Yeah, that makes sense. Like who was born on this date or when was this man born? I think you could, 
you could probably use the same cards if you answered them Jeopardy style. Like, your card could say, like, who invented the first airplane, Orville Milber Wright, or, you know, it's Orville Wright, and you're expected to say, who invented the first airplane, you know, or oh, the yeah. inventors of the airplane. Yeah, that makes sense. You the, could do it that way. The wording would stay the same, yeah. Okay, but yeah, I really like that tip of making sure you can, and uh, basically, there's two pieces of information connected, and you need to be able to start on either end, uh, either node, and be able to get to the other one, um, just based on your own memory. I did some research on flashcards. I'm going to do a video on them eventually, but I did have a few other tips to add in from that research. Um, the first one is make your own flashcards. I know like with Anki, they have like this giant database of flashcards you can download. And sure, those can be helpful to a degree, but I think flashcards are strictly a review tool. They're not like a silver bullet that's going to help you learn something. So if you actually take the time to take your notes or to take a study guide and build flashcards out of them, then you're working with the material in a different way and you're working with it in a context of, I have to structure these questions and answers um, well enough that it's gonna be a good measure of how well I know that material. So making your own is, I think, is a better way to go about it than trying to find pre-made ones. Um, there's the whole, the idea of one card, one fact. So some people will make flashcards where it's like, it's a painting maybe for an art history class. And on the back, it's like, the painter's this guy and it was painted in this year and the person who commissioned it was this guy and it was it's hung in this museum. Um, when you stuff all these different facts into one card, it can be really easy to gloss over some of them if you get the other ones right. Like maybe you, you got the artist right and you got the year right and you didn't get the venue, but your brain tells you that, oh, I got, you know, 75% of that card. So that card represents something I know pretty well, even though you absolutely did not know that the painting was hung in a museum in Prague. So by sticking to the one question or one card, one fact rule, your brain is basically, you know, imbuing each physical object with a degree of confidence in its knowledge of it. And then... Um, Lastly, we I don't know if we mentioned that Anki is a spaced repetition system, but the best way to study that we know of for flashcards is to use spaced repetition, which basically is a system that gauges your confidence on each answer and then will quiz you later on if you don't know the answer well and very, very shortly if you do know it. So I think the whole concept kind of comes back to the fact that your brain will recall or will learn something best if it's forced to recall it closer to the time that it would forget it because it has to work harder. Uh, the neural pattern is starting to fade and then you have to kind of bring it back from the void a little bit. So by using a system like Anki or Memrise or what was the other one you're talking about? Super uh, Memo? I've heard of Super Memo Super compared Memo. to Anki. I've never used it though. Okay. And I think Study Blue also can do it. Um, there's many different ways or you can literally just have three shoe boxes, one that says like one day, one that says three days and one that says like one week and the ones you're really good on throw in the one week box, the ones that you uh, only got right after your second try, you throw them in the one day box. Like if you want to use paper, because I think a lot of people do like to use paper cards and uh, that also allows you to add pictures to cards, which can help you make associations. So the shoe box method can work, but yeah, if you mix flashcard study with quizzes with old tests like you're basically creating very good methods for reviewing material 
Um, let's see here. What else do I have on the little outline here? Oh yeah, distractions. This is my big problem. <laughs> and probably yours Distractions too. during the test or when studying? No, when studying. This is like, I think this is everyone's main problem is trying to stay focused while studying. This is the problem of 2016, trying to stay focused while anything. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah dude, I'm not, <laughs> you're not kidding. Like during editing yesterday, uh, I just kept going on Twitter a bunch of times and <laughs> like looking up dumb stuff. Yeah, that's and why then, I installed Stay Focused again. Oh, yeah. Stay Focused is, okay, let's just make a plug for Stay Focused. Uh, I made a plug for it in this week's, or last week's video. We'll make it again. Stay Focused is this wonderful little Chrome extension which you can set to block or severely limit the amount of time you can spend on certain websites each day. Uh, what Do you block a specific website on there or do you, because you can use whitelists, right, as y well? Yeah, you can do that too, but what I'm doing now is too general. I block Facebook and s stupidly predict it, which is... <laughs> uh, people gambling on politics and I like to see what the chances are I don't know why I look at it which is why I've blocked it it's it's not a good it's use like, of my like time it's like a reality show yeah. do you know if you can use that uh, can you use stay focused to be a little more flexible like I'm studying for a half hour but after that I yes, should you be can. free yeah so I have it installed right now I can look at the thing right now um what you can do is something called the nuclear option. And the nuclear option will block sites uh, for basically however many hours you indicate after you set it. So it's like, I want to block all websites. You can actually block the entire internet if you want, as long as you don't use a different browser. There are, there are other ways you can get well, real yeah. crazy about this, but I don't know. I think the... See, like using an extension rather than pulling your Ethernet cord out is a weaker form of making yourself stay off the internet because you could just use another uh, another browser or your phone or something. Yeah, or just. But I do think the, is about extension. It's just about adding resistance. Your brain is going to take the path of least resistance, and if you if you get rid of resistance to some degree, you're increasing your brain's ability to uh, just resist on the whole. But yeah, stay focused. Nuclear option will let you say, one hour right now. I want to block every website on my block list, or I want to block all websites except for the ones on the whitelist. So maybe you need Wikipedia or something, or you can set it to block everything. Um, you can also, and this is what I uh, showed myself doing in the sleep video. I set the nuclear option to block the internet, the whole thing, at a specific time which was 9 p.m. for the next nine hours. So that was oh, a way of so setting it up. So it's like go to sleep. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, when you need to start winding down for the night, uh, no more Internet. And this app will make sure you can't do it via Chrome, at least. Uh, and I'm sure there's other that ways I could do it if I that. wanted to be, you know, very hardcore about it. That's like the first step. But yeah, you could do that if you're just like, I need to sit down for an hour long study session. OK, nuke option. I can no longer browse anything or maybe I can only browse you know, Google Scholar and uh, my website or my university library website and Wikipedia. You could basically make the whitelist whatever you want it to be. And yeah, that's one way of getting rid of distractions. I wanted to talk a little bit about why it's so crucial to get rid of distractions from a neuroscience perspective. So it turns out um, th there's this theory called, uh, I think it's called, oh my gosh, I'll have to make a cut here. 
57 minutes. Okay. Uh, directed attention <laughs> fatigue. Or maybe I just won't cut. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah, who knows? This is, if not, then here's a back end look at what it's like when Tom forgets. This something. is what it is. Yes. Inhibition theory. So. I've heard of that. This uh, term I want to talk about, directed attention fatigue or DAF. Basically, the concept is that there are two types of attention. There's um, involuntary attention, which is the attention that requires no effort at all. And this attention is employed when a tiger jumps out of a bush at you or you see somebody who's very attractive or anything that your brain is wired to pay attention to. Oh, yeah, you're not like, actually, I'm bored of that tiger. You're just so boring, man. Why don't you have, like, a cooler stripe pattern, you know? I know you're tearing my arm off right now. I'm going to check my phone. Yeah. (laughs) No, you have a very easy time paying attention to that. And then there's voluntary attention, which is also known as directed attention. And this is attention that does require effort to do and sustain. And directed attention works by... Um, inhibiting other stimuli. So it's not necessarily an act of willpower to pay attention to something. It's more that your brain is expending willpower trying to block everything else out, uh, according to this theory. And I would agree with it because I know when I sit down in an area that I know is for studying, like the coffee shop I go to in the mornings is where I read, and I have only my very soft music study playlist. I have nothing out on the desk with me just the book, I do not have a hard time paying attention. Whereas if I stupidly try to sit down in the basement with you guys and read my book while Clyde's playing Dark Souls 3, that doesn't work at all. (laughs) Uh, My brain has to work very, very hard to not pay attention to Dark Souls, and uh, after about five seconds, it fails. So knowing what we know about this theory, and also just using common sense, you want to extract... uh, Basically, increase your brain's ability to deal with these distractions and to work undistracted for as long as possible by choosing your environment very deliberately. Whether it means going down into the bowels of the basement of the library in a corner with no internet, no cell reception, and a big pair of headphones. Like, whatever you need to do, get yourself in an environment that has as little distraction as possible and then your brain is not going to have to work as hard to pay attention to your stuff. Also, I think it's really important to anticipate any failure points. So say you sit down to study and like half an hour later, you're like, oh, I'm really hungry. And you decide to just stop studying. And then you take a bunch of time to go eat and you've only given yourself half an hour. Instead of doing that, maybe pre-commit to eating with your friends at a certain time. So, you know, there's a little bit of time pressure built in. It's like five o'clock. I'm going to dinner at this place with these people. And until then, if I'm hungry, there's like a protein bar in my bag. Make these plans before you study. And they're going to be these things are going to be less likely to interrupt your studying when you're actually doing it. Does That make sense. Yeah. So you have like a backup plan. And this is probably useful because I'm sure that after a few times of studying, you'll you'll have a nice running list. What are the things that have pulled me away before, whether it be hunger or something that I forgot about and probably should have had on a schedule somewhere so that I don't have to leave in the middle of a study session. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's going to about, oh wait, I had one more thing I wanted to mention when it came to studying. Have you ever done a cheat card exercise? Define cheat card exercise. So a cheat card exercise is 
pretending your professor has just told you, I will let you have one index card of notes during the test. Have you ever had that happen before? Um, like in real life? Yes. Because I have. Yes. Yeah, and actually. I know that I sit there and I write in the tiniest text possible to fill that in, that one little index card with as much as I possibly can get on there. And obviously it would be very helpful to have a three by five index card with tons of tiny little notes on it in your test. But almost as useful is the process of making that because think about if you were actually able to do it. If you're actually in a situation where your professor would let you have that, you would want to put down the information that you were shakiest on, on that note card. So this is like a prioritization exercise, really. Yeah. And it's just one more very, very active uh, time when you are recalling information, when you're pulling it out of your brain, when you're referencing it, like you're putting yourself in basically like overdrive mode. I need to get as much as I can on this note card and I need to make sure it's the information that is most likely to help me in the test. So just even if you don't have the opportunity to, to actually bring that note card into the test, I recommend doing that anyway, because you're forcing your brain into that same context as you would if you were able to really bring that card into the test and you're going to be writing down the same things and hence reviewing the same things. So I think that's just one more very important thing to do. So that's all I have for the preparation phase, other than the quote, which uh, comes from Juma Akanga, who is a marathoner. And he says, the will to win is nothing without the will to prepare. So prepare well, my friends. But I do have a couple of other things I want to talk about here. Uh, first of which is test anxiety. Now, I know we've talked a little bit about how you can cut down on it by um, studying in the same context and trying to be in the room and everything, just like with my filming anxiety. But I think there's a couple of other factors that go into anxiety. Uh, one of them is like this fear of inadequacy. Like you just fear, you feel like I'm not ready and I'll never be ready. Like I'm guessing you probably get that in some areas too. I know I do with, uh, even with speaking, like people pay me to speak and I still feel like who, who am I to speak? Who am I to be up on stage and tell uh, people yeah, to do Yeah, imposter syndrome all over the place. Yeah. And I don't know about you. I guess the way that I get over it is I, I try to remind myself of what my successes are. Because it's so easy to think about the bad stuff or like the areas in which we aren't up to par. Like there's this something called a negativity bias where we naturally think about negative things. We put more attention on bad things that happen. Um, it's why when you get a bunch of good feedback and then one like dick is just like, no, you suck, bro. Like you focus on that one person. Or if I get 100 great comments on a YouTube video and one person's like, eh. This one wasn't really up to par. Oh, you're devastated. Like, I'm just like, oh, this video is a failure. Yeah, it's negativity bias. But if you think to yourself like, no, I have done excellent this entire semester. And I've gotten to this point in my entire life. I've not failed a single grade. I'm fine. You know, not to the point where you're deluding yourself, but at least to the point where you recognize that you've done a lot of good stuff and there's not really a reason to think that you're inadequate. Maybe you aren't exactly, you know, the paragon of expertise in this field, but that's what the test is there to help you do. It's there to help you reach and stretch and, you know, get to that level. So instead of focusing on like, I'm not ready, I'm inadequate, I'm not good enough. Think about like, I've been good enough to beat all these previous challenges. I know I can do this one as well. 
And then there's also the fear of the stakes. This is a pretty big one. Like, Oh, what's my GPA going to be? Am I going to fail? Am I going to yeah. get kicked out of school? What will my friends, my mom think? What will my friend's mom think? <laughs> my friend's mom is going to be so disappointed. She in is going to be disappointed. <laughs> she won't give me ice cream bars. That was her favorite. His house anymore. Oh, no. Yeah, I think the... I think the main thing to think about here is just like this this one test. You need to think about what the true scope of this test is. Because the test does not define you. It does not set your future in stone. I remember I got I've gotten emails, uh recent emails where people are like I've been doing so good. I've had like a 95% average and then you know, I got two Bs on tests and now my life is over. I'll never get to where I want to be. I'll never achieve my dreams. It's like, dude, that's still not a bad yeah, performance. That's, that's not bad. But regardless, that's that's performance on one test of one specific subset of the material in one class. Like, it's so small. And again, like, you can get too extreme with this thinking and become real nihilistic and be like, well, nothing else matters, man. I'm just going to play COD and just wing the test, bruh. But there is a certain middle ground where you should acknowledge, like, this isn't my entire life. This is one examination of one bit of material. And regardless of how prepared I am, you know, it's not going to destroy my life. And if I fail it, I'll come back and try again. I think there's this um, this feeling like life has to be this constant upward trend line, smooth and going up exponentially forever. Yeah, you're never allowed to have any dips. Yeah. And like people don't realize like that's everyone goes through dips. Everyone's trend line looks like the stock market trend line where it's just like ups and downs and it's crazy and it's like a polygraph test basically. But hopefully there's this, uh, you know, hopefully if we if we did an average, it would be upwards over time. But it's never going to always go up. If you fail, maybe you've just added a little bit of extra time uh, to the time it will take to get to where you want to go. But I mean, it's just like playing a video game, right? If I fail on the last level, I just have to try it again. It takes me an extra five minutes to beat the game or 10 or 20 or whatever. And if you fail, you retake the test or you make up with the next test. You still have the chance to continue. Yeah. So just remember that the, the test doesn't define you. And also, whatever you don't do right on the test, those mistakes are an opportunity to shore up any weaknesses or change any practices that were bad that got you to that point. So even if you fail, it's an opportunity to recognize what you're doing wrong and to change it. It's not, well, game over, you're lame, you can't do it, and you're obviously never going to amount to anything. Yeah, that's like the rule for every failure, regardless of whether it's a test or otherwise. You're supposed to take what you can from it and figure out, what did I do that I could have done differently? that maybe would have avoided this situation. Yeah, exactly. So the last part of this whole review that I wanted to do was some things you could do while you're in the test to increase your ability to get better, uh, get a better score. Um, Is there anything particular that you did during tests that helped you score better or maybe cut down any last minute anxiety? Well, I think that my like ace in the hole for test taking was my ability to deal with the anxiety. And hmm. like I've had some pretty anxious situations. In fact, I almost missed an exam once, a night exam, where if you weren't able to take me to campus, 
I would have, I was like five minutes late uh, to that exam. I, I remember had, that. <laughs> I had scheduled it on the wrong day on my calendar. Double check that if you do it. But mm-hmm. like, obviously I could have been panicked. I have, now I have less time to take this test. And the teacher probably thinks I'm an idiot because I just showed up, even though he probably doesn't even care that I showed up a few minutes late. They're not going to remember really. Yeah. And the ability to cut down on anxiety is the one thing that's gotten me through most things, even topics I wasn't very good at. And it's the main thing that I do is, I mean, maybe it'll sound a little too simplified, but it's backed up after I read the learned optimism. And it's that I, I put off, I put off my worry. I say, Okay, so what will this do to my GPA? Uh, you, you know what? I'm going to do those calculations later. I'm going to I'm going to set up a whole crazy Excel spreadsheet of me being paranoid, but I'm going to do it after <laughs> I take this test because yeah. right now I am wasting my time. So I try to literally block it out and say this anxiety gets to be later. This anxiety is later. I do not need it right now and it's not helping me in the slightest. That's and, a good idea. And that's something that I've done with a lot of things. I do it with emails that I'm nervous about. I'll make the anxiety pointless in the moment. So I'll like Mm -hmm. count down from five on a scary email, hit send and be like, well, it's too late now. I guess there's no reason to be anxious. That's true. What am I going to do about it? I'm at the test right now. There's nothing I can do about it. So I Mm -hmm. just have to take the test. That's actually very similar to um, a practice that has been proven to improve grades. And this is actually part of what I like to call a test prep ritual, a ritual. So it's something you do right when you're sitting in class, right before the test starts, two things. The first one is write down what your fears are, write down whatever is making you anxious. And this is kind of like, you know, that same concept. I'm getting something out of my brain onto a piece of paper so I can tell my brain, look, bro, it's written down. I'm not going to forget it. I'll deal with it later. And they did a study, I think it was at the University of Chicago, where students that did this actually got, on average, I think one letter grade higher on their tests. A letter grade? That's actually yeah, I think a big it was, deal. I think it was letter grade. So I'll reference it in the show notes. Was there a, was there a time frame? Was it like over over a semester they did this for every test? Or I can't remember. That's um, really interesting. I'll have to reference it. But yeah, like, you know, it's, just, it's just like when you get an idea and you need to get it out of your head. Um, it's why like rappers carry notebooks in their back pocket all the time so they can get lyrics down immediately. You know, whatever you can pull out of your head uh, frees up space for your brain to do stuff. So the other component to the test prep ritual is what I like to call the scratch paper vomit, where if you've got a bunch of formulas and a bunch of things you're trying to remember real hard jumbling up in your head, which will especially be common if you did happen to cram, write that stuff down on a piece of scratch paper if you're allowed to. Uh, Don't get yourself kicked out, but if you're allowed to have a piece of scratch paper out, just dump everything you can down. Quadratic formula? Okay, boom, it's on there. Don't got to worry about it now. It's written down. Get everything there that's kind of gunking up your working memory. And now that you've got your fears aired out, now that you've got everything you were trying to remember written down on scratch paper, your mind should be much more clear and able to tackle the first question. One little note there, if you are going to dump a bunch of information onto the scratch paper you're allowed in a test, wait till they say start Start the test. Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to look like you just had that paper in your bag and you just pulled it out or something. Mm-hmm. It's true. You know, unless it's like handing out scratch paper or something, but it's probably, yeah, probably a good idea to just, just start just, the test just be out. Safe. <laughs> be safe. Don't get yourself kicked out on my account. But Tom told me to do it. <laughs> it's okay. Here's like 
300 students around the world just complain to their professors, Tom made me do it. Maybe it would work at least once. Sorry, not sorry. Hashtag Kanye sunglasses. Last two things. Number one, you want to use the context uh, and other questions in the test as clues. So if you're not sure on something, then there is the distinct possibility that another question later on will reference it. And sometimes other questions will outright answer previous questions just in the way they're worded. Um, Say like, you know, one question is saying in this year, this person did this, uh, who helped them? And maybe another question was like, what year did this person do this? Well, it's answered for you. It's not always going to happen, but look at the test as like this document that you have to investigate in, you know, holistically, like everything could connect to something else. Uh, it's not necessarily just one long question after another. They're all isolated cases. Like, no, it's one subject. Maybe a question will reference another, or maybe it will simply jog your memory. That's why it's also important to try to finish a little early, just so you have time to go back and reference things and ask yourself your confidence. Um, also, refer back to the episode I did with Justin Couchman on rating your confidence levels on questions. It's also a very uh, useful thing you can do in tests. And... The last one is if you can't remember something for the life of you, it may be helpful to close your eyes and picture the location where you studied it. So if you have like a specific desk you study at or a specific corner of the library dungeon where you huddle and let water from the groundwater drip on your head while you study by candlelight, like, yeah, visualize that. What's what school is this? (laughs) I don't know. Some weird school. All right. It's Hogwarts, actually. Well, you're right. That makes I always sense. imagine that's where the Slytherins lived. Fair. Like they just had like these weird like stone basements they lived in with moss growing, and they just didn't care because they're like evil and stuff. They know. are cool like that, aren't they? <laughs> um, but there is there is something that has been studied called the context recall technique, where people visualize the area where they learn something, and that helps them recall it in a different location because. Learning is context dependent. They've showed that people who learn things while underwater in scuba gear are better able to recall it while, again, being in scuba gear. Um, There were some tests where people were actually a little bit intoxicated and learned something, and they were better able to recall those things when they were drunk again. But visualizing the context can actually help to basically put your brain in that a little bit of that same same, uh, frame of mind, the reference and you may be able to recall something. So if you find yourself just racking your brain, can't bring it up, try that. It may just all it may just represent like a little bit of a roundabout path to that piece of information. Because the brain is all about wiring itself in different configurations and making lots of different interconnecting paths. So there may be one that you can access uh, off the beaten path if you cannot make the direct one work. So that is all I had. Um, which was actually quite a lot. I mean, yeah, that was you've gone almost a lot an of hour stuff. And twenty minutes. Uh, I have one one question. Okay, it's kind of kind of a throwaway question, but I'm curious. So when I had a Scantron test, mm-hmm. and if they, there's a question, it's duplicated by accident. I always hedged my bets and like did my top two: one answered this and one answered this, so that maybe at least one of them was right. Did you do that? Um, I think I was like the brown noser who always went up to the teacher and I was like. There's this question twice, and then I don't know. Oh. I think they would like stand up and say, "Just scratch off the last one." Yeah, or something. I, maybe I'm a gambler. Yeah, I don't think I ever had a situation where I just had to gamble or you or do the same answer twice. So I'm not sure. 
Um, if I if I was gonna do that, I would only gamble if I was like totally unsure of the answer. Oh yeah, well I'm not gonna gamble <laughs> if I know the answer. That seems ridiculous. Yeah, but. yeah, it's an interesting question. I think I would probably still just be like, yo, this question's on the test twice. I never wanted to get out of the desk and tell the teacher things. <laughs> I guess that is one thing. All right, guys. Um, so the show notes for this episode, I'm gonna link to like all my test prep videos along with the uh, Justin Couchman episode. And basically, like, I'm kind of hoping this episode is just sort of like the starting point slash overview slash dump everything we know about test prep into your brain, at least everything we know at this point. So check out the show notes over at CIGpodcast.com, episode 104, and you'll find links to all those extra videos, um, the studies we referenced, all that stuff, and you can dig into extra material at your heart's content but don't let it distract you from studying. Please, just get your studying done. <laughs> and after finals are over, and after everything is said and done, you don't have to study anymore, then if you want to support the show, you can go on iTunes and leave it a rating and review. It really helps us out, and we super appreciate it if you do. And I think that's all we've got for this episode. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next one. Stay cute.